So who are we going to cancel today? Twitter again. Uh, yep. <laughs> yep. Why? Why is it always Twitter? You know, if it wasn't such a good conversation and episode, I'd be annoyed about it. But we're going to talk about Twitter some more. <laughs> yeah, actually, the interview is just incredible, actually. Hey, everyone. I'm Caitlin Prince. And I'm Olive Rash Klein. And you're listening to Cancel Me Daddy. The show where we take a closer look at all of the panic around cancel culture. With thoughtful analysis. And verbal shitposting. So Oliver, how you doing? Uh... Not great. Not yeah. great right now. Yeah. Yeah. Not are, having a good time. <laughs> are you joining me on the struggle bus as well? Yeah. Yeah. I think that I, I might be driving the struggle bus. Oh, oh dear. It's uh it's it's gonna be a bumpy ride, Caitlin. <laughs> oh no. Yeah, it's just um, you know, February is the worst month despite it being my birthday month. Uh but happy hopefully- birthday. Oh, it's way late. It was like two weeks ago. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I don't know. February just is like uh, the bad vibe month. It's like bad February. We've got the seasonal depression. Mm-hmm. You know, this year it's after the the COVID spike and everyone kind of did re-isolation. And so we're like, it's yeah. it's it's just bad It's news. just the whole thing. It's also, like... Right also, like Dave Chappelle just got signed for four more comedy specials on Netflix. So, like, oh, that guy was totally know. canceled. We totally canceled him. Totally ruined his career. Yeah, that's definitely how cancel culture works. Yes, Ugh, I'm so frustrated. <laughs> Speaking of cancel culture, by the way, did you see this interview uh, in the Daily Telegraph in the UK yesterday with um, Dylan Moran? I did, but only because you sent it to me. Um, so, and I think that we should do a dramatic reading because it is incredible. Yeah, Dylan Moran co-created three TV series with uh, Graham Linehan, the one and only Glinner, who basically ruined his entire career and life by becoming obsessed with trans people. Um, but the reporter is very clearly trying to get this guy to... Uh, say something ridiculous about cancel culture and and he just wasn't having it um so your idea is a dramatic reading i'm totally into this yeah i would love to be the reporter and you can be dylan (laughs) okay is he relying on his essential goodness as a human being to get him through this cultural moment no tell me something to worry me go ahead worry me (laughs) i mentioned how far a star can fall Louis C.K., for instance, who went from the most popular comedian in America to a pariah almost overnight. The thing about this is, here's the thing, right? Just go with me. Let's say we're talking about champion knitters. And, you know, for the knitter, it's the World Knitting Finals coming up. Now, he hasn't dropped a stitch. And then all of a sudden, he takes his dick out in front of the other knitters, you know? The slightest of pauses. How do you think that's going to play out for his career? Does he worry about saying the wrong thing? I don't worry about shit. What am I going to say that I'm going to regret? 
What is it that I'm going to say? Well, he may not know. Am I worried that I'm going to be misinterpreted? Is that what you mean? Well, Graham Linehan, with whom Moran co-wrote three series of the cult early 2000 sitcom Black Books, has been suspended from Twitter for writing that, quote, men are not women, among other comments about transgender people. Graham's free to say whatever he wants, obviously. He's also free to be in the consequences of that. We all are. Oh, my Lord. The knitting story. The knitting story. I'm still send. It's still sending me. I read this yesterday and it's still sending me. <laughs> it's pretty intense. Like the the reporter is so trying to goad him into saying something ridiculous about cancel culture. And he's just like, not a thing. I'm just imagining like, I'm just imagining like this little old lady knitter who's like the best in the world. And she just whips her dick out in front of other people. I'm here for it. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh my what God. the hell is wrong mess. with people? What a mess. What a mess. How do we even transition the show now? <laughs> I just I um let's let's read let's read a listener comment. That sounds like a good good segue. <laughs> we got a really lovely review um from a Garrett's that said, this show is like sitting in a discussion with your friends where you can all let out a collective laugh, sob, scream about the state of the world. We've been doing that a lot today. <laughs> <laughs> Oliver and Caitlin's dynamic is equal parts warm, intelligent, and thoughtful while demanding critical engagement with media figures and political exploitation. A deeper examination of how culture is twisted to suit the needs and interests of the powerful and how we can all support one another in this timeline. Highly recommended. Mm, that that made me feel a little bit better that that made me feel a little bit better <laughs> i have to ask the question uh-huh is the dick whipping knitter story equal parts warm intelligent and thoughtful though of course not caitlin <laughs> of course not that is, that is some shit posting that is some right, of the shit right. posting element of our show <laughs> oh my god (laughs) um we have so so all of this nonsense aside we have i think i think this is one of my favorite shows that we've done like we have such an incredible interview with Catherine cross who explains um and kind of breaks down why the structure of the internet and what it looks like leads to a lot of the like quote unquote like cancel culture bullshit that we see especially um for like marginalized folks we are in community with or who are making art and things like that and it's just it's just really eye opening and is making me think about how i use the internet differently yeah so. i mean the transit nerd in me just says that the information superhighway needs more roundabouts um and <laughs> you'll see what i mean when you hear the interview but um yeah it's super fascinating so we are so lucky today to be joined by Catherine cross she's an incredibly talented sociologist researching online harassment shame and antisocial behavior at the university of washington which basically means we could talk to her for hours about all this cancel culture stuff. But don't worry, Catherine, we're not gonna we're not gonna keep you hostage for hours. Um, <laughs> there are worse fates. <laughs> Catherine's a widely published author and social critic whose work has appeared in Rolling Stone, The Verge, Polygon, The Guardian, NPR, and many more. 
Catherine recently wrote an insightful article for Wired about the way that the internet designs actually leads to harassment that we see, especially on websites like Twitter. And we are so excited to have her. Thank you so much for joining us, Catherine. Yes, it's more than my pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> so I must confess, you've been on my list to have on the show for quite a while. And I was just sort of looking for a good entryway to broach that. And so I was like really thrilled when the Wired article came out and I immediately DM'd it to Oliver like, we need to get Catherine on the show now. <laughs> <laughs> well, my girlfriend is very happy about that. She was so excited <laughs> to hear that I was going to appear on uh, Cancel Me Daddy. So very popular in the polycule, certainly. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Love it. So for those of uh, our readers who haven't read your piece, can you sort of just give you an overview of some of the points that you made and we'll sort of expand from there if you want to go. Sure. So the piece is entitled, uh, It's Not Your Fault That You're a Jerk on Twitter. The original mm -hmm. version was uh, slightly more colorful. <laughs> oh, please tell. What was the original version? <laughs> I it was basically, it's not your fault you're an asshole on Twitter. Oh, my God. Uh, that, was the, that was the one sentence pitch to my editor. <laughs> and she loved it. But I, I think that there was probably a sense it was just too blue for a mainstream publication. <laughs> uh, and the overall argument is one based on a peer-reviewed piece of research that I had been conducting over the last couple of years, developing a sort of broad sociological theory of the structure of what is known as a harassment campaign. So not mm -hmm. just, you know, isolated or monadic incidents of people being mean to each other on social media, but like what happens when a person is targeted by a sustained crowdsourced group of people who are mm -hmm. going after them over time. And the argument that I make is that this is a way of understanding how good people get swept up in these campaigns, in participating in them, because you can't understand toxicity on social media without understanding how that happens. It'd be mm -hmm. nice to think that, you know, all harassment and all abuse is driven solely by a few people acting in bad faith who are purely right-wing extremists deliberately seeking to hurt people. And that's a real and persistent problem that has caused a great deal of damage. There's absolutely no question about that. But there's another side to the problem that is part of what makes social media toxic for so many people, and it stems from good people doing awful things. Mm -hmm. And so what I argue is that there's a, a structure of incentives in social media and in how it is crowdsourcing behavior in a particular way that leads to one, a lack of proportionality when a group of people decides that someone on social media should be punished or mm -hmm. criticized. And two, that there are strong incentives, both from the perspective of the end user and the perspective of the corporation to encourage toxic behavior and abuse. Uh, it's just, you know, more interesting for everyone involved if there's a thread of a bitter argument going on for hours rather than you know two people chatting very politely mm -hmm. right keeps more eyeballs on any ads that might pop up so when you think about these uh, incentive structures when you think about the gamification of social media you see that the 
way in which people are incentivized to engage is often very toxic. And when you combine that with the fact that some platforms like, say, Twitter, reward in particular uh, context-free, snappy, bumper sticker style uh, commentary, where a lot of the kind of couched or qualifying language that we often rely on in order to, say, soften the blow of something or to go, well, on the one hand this, on the other hand that, it's just, you know, it's very difficult to do unless you write a huge thread, in which case it'll just be sort of chopped up into bits anyway, like the, you know, peak and valley phenomenon of a Twitter thread where like one tweet gets zoned in on as the mm -hmm. thing that gets retweeted is extremely common. And I say this as a woman who veers excessively verbose on Twitter herself. I am very familiar with that. But yeah, the basic argument is that the way that social media is designed is like how roads in America and in many other countries are designed in ways that encourage unsafe driving. Right. And that if you, in your approach to the problem, say that this is just a matter of, oh, you know, people not looking where they're going, they're bad drivers, they're unsafe drivers, or, you know, pedestrians or cyclists weren't watching the traffic sufficiently, always reducing this structural problem to an individual mm -hmm. one, is very similar to how we talk about harassment on social media as the product of everyone's aggregate moral defects and we're not looking at how the information superhighway is designed in such a way as to encourage bad behavior just as american roads are designed to encourage speeding which makes driving deadlier in this country than in other peer nations so that was an analogy that a lot of people found very helpful mm -hmm. and it was to you know sort of shift the focus away from thinking about individual agency as the sole determinant of whether toxicity occurred on the internet and more towards how the affordances of platforms themselves guide people to certain types of behavior. Sorry, that was a bit of a lecture. but No, that's really interesting. Uh, so if I'm hearing this right, what we really need are like more roundabouts on our internet. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. So like good road design is, you know, that is pro-pedestrian, for instance, the mm -hmm. procedure is known as traffic calming, right? And I say that, you know, the, the traffic on the internet is most definitely not calmed. People are encouraged to be very aggressive mm -hmm. with how they conduct themselves online. And it's just, it's mutually reinforcing, right? Because you see other people acting that way and you feel like, well, you have to act this way to fit in. You have to behave in this way in order to get by or survive. And so, you know, it becomes the, the idiom of online behavior. Mm -hmm. And I use Twitter as an overriding case study here, but this mm -hmm. theory applies to other platforms as well. The affordances are different, right? You can be much more long form on Facebook, say, or Instagram is significantly more visual. But you know, when you look at the differences between TikTok and Twitter, for the purposes of this argument, there actually aren't that many. Mm -hmm. Even though they're vastly different media, they actually operate on very similar principles. And oh, wow. in particular, that lack of a break line, right? Mm -hmm. Whenever someone decides to go after an individual, 
you know, in Wired, just before my piece was published, one of the editors there wrote a piece about what she evocatively called the West Elm Caleb cinematic universe that had <laughs> popped up on TikTok. Because oh my that, gosh, it's it's vast. Yes, yes, exactly, <laughs> right. And I was just talking about that with my students. One of them brought it up organically during class because we were mm-hmm. actually doing online harassment this week as a, a unit in class. And, you know, everybody was sort of astonished who hadn't heard of this uh, about how far it went and how ultimately disproportionate it was to, you know, whatever this guy's sins were. Like, it raises the real ethical question, does being a bad first date really merit the experience that this fellow has ultimately had, right? And there's no proportionality. And that's the same thing that you see on Twitter Mm -hmm. as well and on many other platforms. So I had one thing that I thought was really interesting about your article was this idea that actually just commenting on the discourse drives this behavior, right? It's not just the people who are harassing or dunking or even like retweeting. It's actually just having a conversation about the discourse and what's going on um, can fuel some of this harassment and kind of help help fuel this fire. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that, because I think that's one thing that, that we're, when we're talking about all this, that, that a lot of folks just aren't aware of. Yeah. So that part of the argument was to illustrate a couple of things. One, that part of the issue with the affordances of a platform or an environment is that no matter your intent, you can be induced to act in ways that you're not fully conscious of and that you don't necessarily control the impact of. And so that means that even if you enter a discourse with a capital D, with the most benign of intentions, uh, and I say this from much painful experiences, I'm sure anyone who's used the internet for any number of years could, uh, I could enter with the best of intentions and still only contribute to the harm being caused by a pylon, say, because just the nature of the discourse, simply talking about the target, keeping the controversy alive, all of that stuff just keeps the whole thing going. And it's the the ongoing storm that is stressful and exhausting for the target. So even if some of the discourse is positive, even if half of it is positive, it is part and parcel of making someone a sort of overnight celebrity in a way that they can't control with Mm -hmm. very few of the upsides and many of the downsides of that, all of the parasocial relationships and whatnot. And the second thing it's meant to illustrate is the sort of typology of my theory, which stratifies a harassment campaign into three what I call orders of harassment based on severity and distance from the target. So the first order are things done to the target, things like doxing, swatting that become physically intrusive. Mm -hmm. The second order are things said to the target. And that's sort of traditional online harassment, as most people understand it, mean things, ugly things, harassing and abusive things said to them through virtual media. And then the third order, the largest order, which is essentially the justificatory discourse, the moral license that gets created by people talking about the target. So most of this is discourse that the target never sees. It's not directed at them. It's Mm -hmm. not sent to them. But it is the sort of meta discourse that keeps the controversy alive that provides a sort of moral ferment that says, yes, this is justified. Right? This is uh, 
morally acceptable, this person deserves it, and what we're doing is okay. Like, normally I wouldn't condone this behavior, but this fucking guy totally deserves it. Right. Mm -hmm. So that can include things like subtweets that can include people discoursing on open channels, but not in a way that tags the target. Right. And the troubling thing with this is, as I said, is that it exceeds intention. Right. It contributes to harm, even if you're being very nice about it, because you're simply feeding flames that are being channeled in a, a very specific direction by the nature of the platform. I have a follow-up question. Um, so, like, if someone you, you know, are are friends with or kind of in your circle, you know, is getting dunked on and you, like, tweet something, like, defending them or, like, talking about how all the, the folks who are harassing them are, you know, wrong and being ridiculous and spreading misinformation, is that included in that? Is that, like, actually fueling it and causing more of this or, like, contributing to it? Loath as I am to say, I think that it is in many cases. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's why when I've looked at harassment campaigns that either I've been subject to or more often that other people have been subject to, uh, usually I find that it's actually helpful when people, I don't want to say ignore it because that seems to run counter to so much advice that we've been given mm-hmm. over the years, but being very, very choosy about the discourse that they participate in, because in many ways, the only winning move is not to play, right? Mm. And once you deny the firestorm dry tinder, then, you know, it'll burn itself out. And some of this is also, it's personal, right? Like one of my first episodes of dealing with uh, sort of toxicity in lefty spaces way back, you know, after I first came out in 2009, Mm -hmm. right, was driven by me, I now think, you know, naively defending a friend of mine from some very unjust criticism that was given a sort of social justice veneer. But I only made the situation worse in doing so. And, you know, put myself in the crossfire is the other thing, right? Because when you do that, then you're opening yourself up as a target, not a primary one, but you'll still get, you know, some flack and it'll be an unpleasant experience for you that probably won't add very much. Now, is that to say you should never speak up on behalf of your friend? Well, no. Like so many things, this is about judgment, right? There are no absolute rules here because that's just not how anything works when it comes to ethics, right? Thinking ethically about these sorts of social problems is more about knowing how to reason through a dilemma because every circumstance is different. And sometimes you may decide that although it may incur a slight cost, the benefit for speaking out on behalf of an unjustly assailed friend vastly outweighs the cost of doing so, right? But you have to be aware that that cost is there in order to make that judgment effectively. Hmm. One thing that I appreciated about your piece is you sort of broke down the the Isabel Fall situation, which we've talked about a couple of times on the show. And I don't know if I'm interpreting this right, and I'm hoping you could help me understand it. But it seems like um, the way you walk through it is, you know, obviously Isabel Fall had devastating life consequences from that whole situation, which we've covered on the show. We don't need to rehash all of that. 
Um, but also the people who are perceived to have taken part in that campaign also seemingly came under fire themselves. So can you sort of break down your thoughts on the dynamics that happened with that in whatever amount of detail you want to go into? You don't need to use names necessarily, but... Yeah, absolutely. And indeed, I try to avoid using names as much as possible, (laughs) which is a procedure that I've, as an online harassment researcher, have undertaken for many years because Mm -hmm. I don't like contributing to people's search engine results being, you know, oh, so-and-so was a target of harassment or Mm -hmm. doing the very thing that I just described, like Mm -hmm. referencing the controversy and potentially rekindling it. Suffice it to say that Isabel Fall and the tragedy that befell her as well as the aftermath and how some of that discourse got reignited after Emily Vanderwerf's excellent article about mm-hmm. it. Both cases were linked by people who were absolutely convinced that they were doing the right thing and that they were pursuing just ends, right? And that was something that cried out for analysis and explanation mm-hmm. because you know, for good reason, as I said, we focus a lot on harassment perpetrated by people who are acting in bad faith, who are deliberately seeking to hurt people. So, you know, your Chan trolls, people on Kiwi farms, that mm-hmm. sort of thing, right? I've studied them. It's a serious problem that I do not mean to minimize or even say is, you know, somehow morally equivalent. But this is also a very serious problem that is clearly leading to people being hurt. Mm-hmm. And you know, to the theme of this show, this is, as I was at pains to explain to my students this very week, uh, this is where cancel culture, if it can be said to actually exist, mm-hmm. does. That it doesn't harm in any meaningful sense whatsoever the Joe Rogans or Dave Chappelle's of the mm-hmm. world. Right? They are basically untouchable by a lot of petty online discourse. But the people who are actually materially hurt are the ones most easily hurt by horizontal hostility. And that means other marginalized people who are not rich, who are not powerful, who are not institutionally connected. And that's really the story of what happened with Isabel Fall and then the backlash to her sundering, right? In both cases, people felt that they were morally justified in their behavior. The people who were ripping Isabel Fall to shreds earlier in 2021 were absolutely convinced that this was a Nazi op and were fired up by the fact that, you know, as I said, a lot of far-right trolls do act in bad faith, do try to pull off these hoaxes, do try to infiltrate uh, leftist and feminist and queer spaces, right? So it was based on a very real history. But also what they had forgotten is that like so much nonlinear warfare of that nature, it's effective precisely because the terror punches above the weight of the actual disposition of forces on the field. Mm -hmm. The fear of being infiltrated is far more destructive than the actual episodes of infiltration, right? That's true of what the political right does. That's true of like 
police and security services infiltrating protest movements, the paranoia created by the episodes where that does happen ends up being far more destructive. And this was a clear case of that mm-hmm. as well. So that spiraled out of control, leading to the immolation of Isabel Fall's life and career. Uh, and it was fired by people who were convinced that they were doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. The backlash was led by people who recognized correctly that that is indeed what occurred and that it was horrifying and tragic. And certainly speaking, you know, to use that lugubrious phrase, as a trans woman, (laughs) uh, I was horrified deeply because for myself, and I am certainly not speaking just for myself here, for many of us, there was this horror that showed like a flash of lightning on a dark night the way things can really work Mm -hmm. even among our so-called allies that the people who say that they are speaking most loudly on our behalf the people with pronouns in their bios and who say that you know you know hooray trans rights you know that they're powerful cis allies and all the rest of it can with the smallest of inducements completely destroy a trans woman Mm -hmm. who has already no power no institutional protections and claim that it was in the name of justice and so some people responded to that by wanting to get revenge essentially Mm -hmm. to call for that most nebulous but powerful of motivators for online abuse accountability Mm -hmm. right and say that there were some people who participated in the you know carnival around Isabel Fall who needed to be held accountable for what they did mm-hmm. and of course that's never defined clearly that's you know how these uh, groups sort of get ginned up everyone has their own interpretation of what accountability means but then that led to some people who you know, had participated in one way or another in criticizing Isabel Fall's story and spreading some of these ugly rumors, uh, being attacked themselves on Twitter very viciously. And it was also fired up by this sense of, you know, righteously executing justice where formal systems had failed, right? Uh, and that's what links sort of the two cases. Uh, and they're not morally equivalent, but they are both uh, fueled by the same forces, they are structured by the same affordances of platforms, Mm -hmm. and they both represent what the actual problem is with toxicity on the left a lot of the time, where Mm -hmm. the people who are getting hurt are not, you know, reactionary conservatives, they're not TV hosts, they're not politicians, you know, no one with meaningful wealth and power can claim to be cancelled. Uh, but the people who are actually hurt, as I always like to say, are people whose names you don't know and may never know. Right? You know, the, the, you know, in a few years' time, what happened with Isabel Fall will be reduced to the level of trivia, mm-hmm. and will fade from collective memory. Right? And you know, already when I spoke to my students, all of whom are very online, the you know overwhelming majority of them hadn't heard of this, even the ones who are sci-fi geeks, Mm -hmm. right? So it's a reminder that, you know, as destructive as these things can be, they're also very tightly contained within relatively narrow communities. Mm. And the people who are harmed, as I said, are just names that the vast majority of the public will not not know and will Mm -hmm. never know. 
And that's the key point that is illustrated by these grim case studies. You talked before about how the internet is designed to produce these instances of harassment campaigns, but I, I am sort of curious on an individual level, like what our listeners can take away from this discussion? Like, is there a roadmap for what to do if, let's say, you're being harassed or if you see somebody you care about being harassed or if you see something that outrages you and you want to get in on the harassing? Like, do you have suggestions on steps that people can sort of take on their own that... Uh, and maybe it, maybe maybe it's do nothing, but um, that they can take on their own to sort of help the situation, whatever it may be. Yeah, sure. You know, do nothing is simply not an option because the internet affords us an opportunity to be ourselves and express ourselves and explore and network with communities that we otherwise wouldn't be able to access. It's so powerful and important for so many people to be able to connect in that way. It's a literal lifeline. Mm -hmm. uh, so not participating is really, for the vast majority of people, not an option. Mm -hmm. But also at the individual level, there's really not a lot that can be done. But there are a few things that I think people need to sort of keep in mind. One is to recognize that the idea that where there's smoke, there's fire is axiomatic, but not useful for actually judging the truth of a situation mm -hmm. because the internet is a smoke machine, right? People will just they will just say shit on the internet, right? Mm -hmm. And if enough people share it, then even if it's completely untrue, then it becomes smoke. And then you assume, well, there must be a reason that so-and-so is being accused of this, surely, mm -hmm. right? Like, you know, we're seeing another episode of this with the uh, leftist YouTuber, Sarah Zed, and her uh, producer and assistant, who happens to be a trans woman, and Sarah Zed has been, I think, falsely accused of transphobia and using her assistant as a shield and things like that. And when you actually dug into the allegations, like none of this even remotely stood up. And, you know, this poor woman was being used by people who really just like didn't like this YouTube channel, disagreed mm -hmm. with a few things that had been said and, you know, tried to garland it with something that sounded much more inarguable and inassailable. Uh, so recognizing that you need to be a bit skeptical when you see these sorts of claims, right? That it's not wrong to look for or wait for clear evidence that you can judge for yourself rather than just trusting the gloss of a few people retweeting each other, for mm -hmm. instance. Uh, the other thing is that if you yourself are a target, you have to be very, very careful about how you engage the abuse itself. And this is a very difficult thing to talk about because it's somewhat counterintuitive against the work that, frankly, I and many others who've worked in the online harassment space have given over the years, right? Because the notion of don't feed the trolls has often been used in a toxic way. Mm -hmm. And we have counseled people, myself and others, who were 
our scholars who look at this issue, people who are activists around it and so on, have said that's terrible advice. That's victim blaming and you know it doesn't make the problem go away if you don't if you just ignore it if you don't feed them but there is something to be said for being very thoughtful about how you engage with the people who are harassing you because if you feed them too much you will keep the fires going yourself mm -hmm. right some people, and it's not just 4chan trolls, right, who get into this mindset. Some people, you know, want to make the hit dog holler, right? Some mm -hmm. people uh, find enjoyment in their target expressing pain and displeasure, right? They view the target as a morally acceptable target, someone who deserves this. And so if that target expresses that this hurts them, that it's bothering them, that it's getting to them, that they are noticing it in the first place, that's a victory for them, mm -hmm. right? And so you have to be very careful about handing that to them because some may find that it is positive reinforcement. And that means that, you know, you shouldn't necessarily suffer in silence. You can send up signal flares, but also think about doing so in non-public channels, reaching out to your friends and networks and saying, hey, this is happening. You know, what do you think I should do? Not necessarily highlighting it to the whole internet because then you run the risk of what I just described, mm -hmm. but you are reaching out to support networks. You are not suffering in silence. That's always the key thing mm -hmm. because this is hurtful. And you should be able to express that somehow. But be thoughtful about doing so on open channels. Sometimes what I do is that if I'm being hit a lot with something, I will either just flat out ignore it and just, you know, log out of Twitter for the night and then usually it goes away because I'm not giving them the interactivity that they desire. Or if I am moved to comment on it, what I will do is I will not quote tweet or even screenshot, right? Although if I do screenshot, I will blank out names, right? Because mm -hmm. I don't want to drive harassment at that person usually. And I also don't want to make it about individuals and I don't mm -hmm. want to enhance their fame or their reputation or whatever. Mm -hmm. But usually I don't even do that. I just summarize it in my own words, right? Maybe, you know, the odd quote saying, you know, oh, yes, I'm being called, you know, a a tranny right by blah 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 yeah. types of people right uh, and i'll talk about it that way mm -hmm. but yeah. it's oblique it doesn't name names it doesn't engage directly that's often better for sending up the public signal flare that something is not right mm -hmm. and otherwise you run the risk of just you know perpetuating discourse for the sake of discourse so I guess that's the, the most concrete advice that I can give individuals based on what I've written. Mm -hmm. Also, my cat really wants to be on the podcast. <laughs> what's, what's your cat's name? <laughs> <laughs> this is Cass. I don't know if you can hear his meowing. Oh, we can. Oh, we can. <laughs> <laughs> Samwise has got some, some competition. He's... Samwise is Caitlin's cat. Aww. He's right here. <laughs> Samwise Gamgee. That's exactly right. <laughs> We're walking through Mordor together. Oh. <laughs> uh, 
Oh gosh, this is so interesting. It's so, <laughs> so interesting. You have thoughts, Oliver? I always have thoughts. Oh, you just talked about someone who's being harassed what to do but what about someone who cares for someone being harassed or who follows them and really likes their work or things like that like if if like if i mean caitlin was harassed a a, a few weeks ago and Mm -hmm. and and so as someone who who cares about caitlin right and wants to to support her obviously i can support her in in dms I can message her, um, but like what, or, or what about like, you know, our listeners, right. Who might be following Caitlin and seeing something like this going on or whatever, like, or, or, or someone else that they, they follow and like, like what, what is kind of the, the guidance around that? Sometimes like if what is driving the harassment is something that's slanderous, it mm-hmm. is very difficult not to respond. Right. Mm-hmm. You're, you're kind of backed into a corner there where, you know, refusing to engage the slander becomes a, an endorsement of it or allows it to spread further unchecked and unchallenged. Mm-hmm. And knowing when to speak up as a judgment call. Right. So people have said all sorts of horrible, slanderous things about me, but because mm-hmm. they were usually just sort of shouting in the wilderness, uh, I didn't give it any oxygen and it just died off. Whereas if I had taken it to my audience on Twitter, which is like over 20,000, mm-hmm. then it would have been given a much bigger platform than it otherwise would have had. Uh, you know, I was also falsely accused by a famous writer and think tank guy of plagiarism a couple of years back during the the Trump years. And thankfully, the accusation didn't catch on. And even some of his uh, big brain colleagues thought that like, yeah, these two pieces of writing look nothing alike. Uh, And I sparred with him a little bit on Twitter, but I didn't take it to my main timeline Mm -hmm. because I thought, well, I'll see how this plays out, right? If it gets too big that I have to say something. Mm-hmm. I have to defend myself. But if it just stays at this sort of low low stakes level where he's kind of just spinning his wheels and his own comments, then I can just let it lie. Because there's mm-hmm. no, again, you don't want to give that sense of where there's smoke, there's fire, mm-hmm. right? So I just let it lie and it died on the vine. Had I amplified it and turned it into a whole thing, it could have been much worse for mm-hmm. me, right? Secondly, I would say that a thing to do with someone who's being harassed is ensure and do your part to kind of build a road out of the doldrums for mm-hmm. them by boosting everything about them that makes them cool. Mm-hmm. Right. So showing off their work, mm-hmm. making this the time to say, oh, yeah, so and so is an awesome person. Here's a fond memory. Here's a thing that they just drew or wrote or recorded or what have you, you know, if they're a creative type. There's something that reinforces that they have a life outside of being harassed. Because one of the most destructive things that harassment does is that it can, if it gets big enough, it can reduce a person to that harassment, where they're defined by having lived through that episode. Mm-hmm. And mm. even though, thankfully, that's not the fate of most people, it's something that a lot of us end up fearing every time it happens. And so, you know, one way to provide support is to signal boost uh, 
constructive things like do they have a patreon or a mm-hmm. coffee or paypal like you know maybe now's a good time to share that around right so you know not just engaging the discourse and saying no this bad thing is wrong but also talk about here are all the good things that this person is and does thank you for that advice i think i think many of us will find that helpful <laughs> more than my pleasure I have I have a question that 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 I want to ask that's just a very silly question. If you could cancel one thing that's like inconsequential. So obviously like there's there's a lot of things that we want to cancel and a lot of big problems we want to solve, but like if you could cancel something like small or like inconsequential, um what what might it be? Oh dear, if I were queen of the universe. <laughs> <laughs> I am going to go with uh, I'm going to go with the Smurfs. They've had it too good for too long. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I love it. <laughs> love it. Was not, what was not prepared for it. No. <laughs> what, what do you have against the Smurfs? I'm curious. I, I think that that, that, that time in, in middle earth has passed. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so we're going to have some out-of-context cancellations, but I just, I wanted to flag that we got, we have gotten a lot in the last two weeks, and I just want to take a second and check in with our <laughs> listeners and ask y'all if you're okay, because, like, there, there's a lot going on, and it's a hard time, and, I, and I'm glad that y'all are getting out your frustration in the out-of-context cancellations, and I just want to remind y'all to take care of yourselves. <laughs> it seems like y'all are having a hard time, too, and I just want y'all to know that y'all are great, um, and that I hope that you're taking care of yourself and being kind to yourself, because it's just a hard time right now. <laughs> Okay, we're gonna we're gonna cancel some shit for y'all yes. now. Um, the first one, yes. Um, low pressure showers. Speaking of showers, I need one right now. <laughs> I just like low pressure showers are like definitely a crime against humanity. Like we need to be warm and bathed and feel good, and like the low pressure shower is just bad news. You know, the one Trump policy that I supported was the fact that he was against low pressure showers. I'm going to cancel you for agreeing with Trump on something. I just, just like those words. They're, they're not working with my brain right now. (laughs) What are you Twitter from a month ago? (laughs) Um, Bad public health guidance. Oh my God. We're we're all, we're like bathing in that right now to mix metaphors here. How about uh, one of our listeners suggests that we cancel people who think the Super Bowl halftime show is literally the only thing in history that should be required that should be required to reflect the racial demographics of the nation. Oh my god, did you see the discourse over this? I'm going to be honest, I don't pay attention to the Super Bowl. Um I saw some discourse from the halftime show. So I didn't watch the Super Bowl either and I didn't see the halftime show, but obviously I'm I'm on Twitter and I was following along with what was happening. And it was like uh all of these um, rappers that I thought were great <laughs> in high school. <laughs> so it was like Dr. Trey and like, you know, Snoop Dogg was there. Like as their whole crew. I think Eminem was also there. I saw one person, like I, I'm pretty sure he was conservative, although I didn't look too deeply into him. He was like, 
check out this critical race theory halftime show. And I'm like, it's just black people, bro. Like, oh, yeah, it was really awful. <laughs> But I gotta say, I didn't see the halftime show. I'm tempted to go back and watch it just for the millennial nostalgia of it. Okay, so we have a listener who's gonna cancel you for that. Why? Oh my god. (laughs) Um, One of our listeners asked to cancel the people who were describing the halftime show as being targeted at millennials. Like, older millennials may have gotten all of it, but that was solidly Gen X shit. You know what? Fair. Okay. You're not going to fight with the listener? No, no. Well, <laughs> see, I'm like, I come from what, what you might call the geriatric millennial generation, which I, I personally would like to cancel that term. Yeah, that's a bad term. Because what the fuck, man? <laughs> uh, okay, so I always refer to myself as part of the Oregon Trail uh, demographic or generation because in school we had Apple two c plus computers and the only game we had was oregon trail uh so that was like a cultural marker for so many of my generation but like i'm on the cusp between gen x and millennial like i could be the youngest gen xer or the oldest millennial i'm like right on the cusp right so i totally get that um and those all of those artists and acts in fact became famous because Gen X people liked them, but they were also like the very first artists. I started liking independent of like my parents' musical interests. Like my dad only listened to country music. So like when I started branching out and I discovered like hip hop, those were the acts that were popular at the time. So I think that's why so many people associate them with millennials. Gotcha. Yeah. Cool. Um, Moving on, we're going to cancel some more racists. Um, Cancel racists having issue with the diversity of the cast in Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power. I think this is really good. Yeah. Have you been watching Rings of Power? Uh, Well, it's not on yet. It's not out until September. Okay. But they're doing their initial promo run. And there's like a black dwarven princess uh, that was cast. And there's a black elf. I personally think it's really interesting. Um, as we've established on the show already, I am a certified Tolkien nerd. <laughs> but a lot of his uh, sort of stereotypes are have been criticized legitimately as racist. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a, a group called the Southrons who come from the deep south, like way like further down in the south than anybody in that world knows and they're like these big black brutes and i'm like okay well what the fuck yeah pretty racist and and like orcs have been canonically black for a long time and they're just unspeakably evil and they're a twisted form of like the pure white elves right so like Mm -hmm. a lot of this is like um it's not explicitly stated in the text but it's implicitly stated so, like, I totally get the knee-jerk reaction to seeing, like, a black elf. But also, you know, Tolkien in his letters later in life really grappled with the racial dynamics in his story as he personally became more aware of, mm-hmm. you know, sort of racist tropes. So, like, I don't I don't think people should be so quick to react to it so, so knee-jerk as they are but i mean racists are gonna racist right and i think there's a lot of racists who like the lord of the rings because of those racial racial tropes Mm, correct moving on we are going to cancel management and work i love it yeah 
Yeah, more uh, more canceling capitalism. As a self-employed person, I guess I'm canceling also, myself. Also canceling myself. So, you know, it's all it's all good. I'm here for it. Um let's see, lactose intolerance. Yeah, I it doesn't sound like a fun thing. Cheese is so yummy. Yeah. I got nothing beyond that. <laughs> cool, cool. Um robocalls, very annoying. Agree, let's get rid of them. <laughs> We're going to cancel 60 degree days followed by 30 degree days and snow flurries. Oh my god. But like, I I want more 60 degree days. I want fewer snow flurries. Yeah. Is that too much to ask? I mean, it's not because global warming. It's totally climate change. <laughs> I don't want to ask for more climate change. Yeah. Um, but I do want more warm weather. And that might be a contradiction and I might be a hypocrite. And I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, and also, let's cancel the phrase, you're so brave. Uh, yeah, it's like, hello. <laughs> it's the worst. I, I, I can't stand it. Caitlin, you're so brave. Shut up. Just shut <laughs> up. Like, people say that. They say that to me because I'm trans, right? And it's because everybody hates trans people. And it's like, yeah, no fucking shit. Everybody hates me. I knew that going into this. I'm not brave. I'm just existing. I'm vibing, you know? Uh, Leave me alone. <laughs> just let us vibe. Yeah, please. Uh, Caitlin. Caitlin, I appreciate you. I know there's been lots of lots of things <laughs> to be frustrated about today. And I just want to say that I appreciate you. And I, th- I, think, I think it's a, a good day to tell you that. <laughs> Thanks, Oliver. By the way, you're so brave. Uh, <laughs> Got him. I'm going to cancel you. Um, <laughs> you can submit your own out of context cancellations by becoming a patron of our show. And that will can also allow you to get episodes early and other benefits. And your support will help Cancel Me Daddy become a weekly show. Yeah. And also a, a, a new perk to anybody who is on our discord which is one of the tiers on our patreon is that you get to ask us or our guests questions on the live streams that we've been doing on twitch lately um so if you haven't seen that uh check it out we have links on our twitter if you want to become a patreon supporter you can go to patreon.com slash cancel me daddy for more information today's show was made by me oliver ash client and my incredible co-host caitlin burns Daniel Peterschmidt made our theme song and even MW designed our graphics. Our show is made possible by the incredible cancelers supporting our work, especially the member of our Cancelor Hall of Fame with the great power to cancel all of their enemies. Meg. We appreciate your support. Happy canceling! <laughs>